Welcome back to Expert Instruction, the Teach by Design podcast where we dive deeper into the research surrounding student behavior by talking with the people implementing these practices, where they work, and with the students they support. I'm Megan Cave. And I'm Nadia Sampson. Happy New Year! I personally am not big on setting resolutions, but I mean, maybe an intention would be a better fit for me. So my intention for the new year is just to slow down to be more present in my conversations with people and just be aware really of what's going on around me. <laughs> I like that idea yeah. of intention. Yeah. Really like what that. about you? You got any so my resolution or intention yeah. this year yes. is to really remember that people are doing the best they can mm-hmm. and that we don't know people's stories. Nope. We don't know what they're experiencing now or in the past. And so just be kind. Yes. Yes. It doesn't take anything. Just be nice. Yeah. Just be a little bit kinder. I like that a lot. That's a good one. So I guess, I don't know, guys, just check back in with us in December, see how long these intentions lasted. But for now, this is what we're up to. And we're both here and we're both glad to be back sharing our conversations with all of you. Over on Teach by Design this month, we gave you some of our favorite first steps for restarting your implementation goals in the new year. And one of those favorites, in fact, the very first thing we think you should do is find a coach. So guess what we're going to talk about here today? Surveys. Just kidding. No, of course. We're talking about coaching. Of course. We're talking about coaching. Nice. And joining us today are Drs. Lisa Powers and Kelsey Morris. Lisa is a senior research assistant at the University of Missouri Center for School-Wide Positive Behavioral Support. In her current role, she works with District PBIS leadership teams and sometimes schools on how to implement best practices to learn with and from the communities they all serve and to do whatever she can to make sure every child finds success in school. Yes, Lisa. Kelsey, this is going to take a minute, is an (laughs) assistant research professor in the Department of Special Education at the University of Missouri and a co-director of the University of Missouri Center for School-Wide Positive Behavior Support. Yes. He is a national scholar with technical assistance, publications, and research focused on PBIS, classroom management, database decision-making, and district-wide PBIS implementation. You did it. The two of them (laughs) showed up to this conversation, ready to share their experiences and their expertise as coaches in this PBIS game. We've encouraged schools to partner with a coach to steer them through their implementation effort. But what does that mean? How do schools and coaches connect? What about you? Are you one of those coaches? Would you like some insights in how someone else approaches the role? Maybe get some tips and tricks. Mm -hmm. So lean in, lean in. Come on, a little closer. We want to tell you something. That's what we're going to do today. That's what we're going to talk about. Whether you've been a coach for a while, you're brand new to the role, you're leading a team, or maybe you just like to spend some time with us, Lisa and Kelsey are going to share their favorite resources, their best tips for taking surveys like the TFI, what they listen for in team meetings, and the experiences they've had over the past couple of years supporting schools to sustain their implementation in spite of so much disruption. Kelsey and Lisa, we're so glad to have you guys join us today. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having us. Um, Lisa and I are both excited to be here and yeah. talk yeah. and engage. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a, a happy new year to you. Um, we're talking today about, uh, well, a lot about coaches, frankly, and the role that they play in schools and their uh, implementation efforts. We, um, we shared over on our Teach by Design article a graph from the National Center that shows trends over time of schools implementing PBIS. And what we noticed in that particular graph is there are two dips that happen where there are fewer schools implementing during one year than the year prior. One of those was in 2015. It can be explained by, you know, I think it was uh, restructuring within one state um, that affected the support they were able to give. But then we also see recently a dip in 2021, which we can all kind of take our best guesses, frankly, about what happened there. You know, um, it was it was a, a time of upheaval for a lot of schools, for every school. It, the pandemic disrupted everything. And so it's it's reasonable, I think, for us to make the assumption that so many schools stopped implementing or paused implementing during that school year in order to focus their attention on other things that um, that they needed to do. But something that we were really curious about, and Kelsey, you, um, you work as a partner with the National Center. Um, and so something we were curious about is um, what you all saw as far as schools that were able to keep going during, during this, the last couple of years, they were able to actually um, keep up with their PBIS implementation where others were put a pause on it. And so we were curious what might've set those schools up, what set them apart um, to be able to, to keep that effort going. Yeah, I know exactly the graphs that you're talking about. Um, <laughs> and I appreciate the conversation because I think it's an important one for our larger field and community to engage in. Um, and I'm going to kind of offer a different perspective. One of the things I heard was, you know, we kind of, we put it on the back burner or we paused and I'm going to offer a different take on that. Yeah. And I think that it's not necessarily that we put it on the back burner pause or we just kind of took the year off from implementing, but there's so many other factors that are at play that go into collecting the data to produce the graphs and reports you're talking about. Gotcha. So for example, you know, if we're looking at a dip in 21, well, that's data that's being reported in 21, which is coming from the previous school year. So you're thinking about, okay, if we're going to report data in say late summer, early fall of 21, then it's data that was collected during 2020, 2021 school year. And that's when things were so chaotic in yeah. schools. You know, people were gone in the spring of 2020 because the pandemic was new and novel and we don't know what's going on. And then people go, okay, but we got to get kids back in schools. How do we do this? Okay, so we're going to put them back in schools. And so that first year back was really tumultuous. And so along with that comes, okay, we're not... From a state perspective, I know of several states, even ours included, yeah. where we kind of reduced expectations around data collection. Got so you. for example, you know, we're not going to have, um, we're not going to hold people responsible for state assessments and academics. We're going to take that off the plate as we start to get back into the building and back into the districts. And I want to add to the conversation that, you know, we kind of, we gave people 
uh, flexibility. We gave them more of um, leeway in terms of getting data collected and what data do you collect. So I don't think that it's that people paused or stopped or kind of said, let's just take the year off. But there weren't these larger systems at play that year that prompted rigorous data collection like we would have in previous years or like what we're seeing now. Because if you look at those same graphs, you know, a dip implies a rebound. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing mm-hmm. numbers go back up because things are stable now. We're back to collecting data. I'm a data nerd. So all of this makes total sense. And <laughs> it's fun for me to talk about this stuff. For those of listening on the podcast, I hope that you're having as good a time as I am talking about it. They've tuned out. Um, no. <laughs> yeah. So all of that going to say, you know, we've had conversations at the national level for a couple years now. And I love that we're talking about coaching as the, the focal point of today, about helping people understand the value and the utility in collecting fidelity data. Why mm-hmm. is it so important to a, collect the data at all about how many schools are implementing and then kind of moving from the base move to the advanced move. Okay, well, how many of those schools implementing are also collecting fidelity data? Right. And of those schools that are collecting that fidelity data, how many are actually implementing with fidelity? All of that has value. And so we just published um, this, we just said happy new year. So it's not 20, we didn't publish it in 23, we published it in 2022, but it's on the national center's website, but it was a a practice brief, if you will, targeting those state leaders and as well district leaders talking about the value in collecting that fidelity data and showing case examples from Wisconsin and Florida and Missouri about how it's been done to give people a, a, a kind of an idea to envision. Yeah, I like the, what you're telling us about the the context behind the reports that we see because um, it's something that we even encourage for schools is that the data tell you one thing, right? They show you graphically what things are happening, but they don't tell the whole story and that you have to bring your own experience and what you know about what's happening around you to those data in order for them to make contextual sense. So all of that, all of this is really so useful to me anyway, as we're, as we talk about what's going on with schools nationally. Um, It sounds like, though, it would be fair to say that things were disrupted, whether people were continuing to do the things that they were doing, but they just weren't reporting or assessing those things um, in the way that they used to, or they had paused them entirely. Um, One way or the other, there are a number of schools that used to do something um, and then took some time and were, was, were not doing that thing in the way that they used to do it before, whether that meant that they weren't taking the TFI, you know, when they, because they were doing other things, but they were still implementing, you know, some level of school-wide positive behavior support. Yeah. And I think this connects with what Kelsey said and what I've heard from educators. And let me know if this is, if this rings true is that we're also training, and and you mentioned this, we're training a whole bunch of new folks to do those assessments, to to coach. We're training new coaches. We've put people in new roles. And so we're saying, take a pause because we actually need to have that kind of time to actually train the people who are going to be helping teams do the work. And those were some of the people I was talking to a lot on webinars that I was conducting is, I'm brand new to this. I'm doing this work. 
and my, my district has been doing it for years, but I'm brand new to it. So, I mean, what you're speaking to is it's a learning curve. We talk mm -hmm, about a mm -hmm. lot of times in education phases of learning. You know, if I'm new to something, I'm at that beginning acquisition stage and I got to have enough repeated exposure and have enough tries and go abouts with this in order to move from acquisition to fluency and then from fluency to maintenance and ultimately, ultimately maintenance to generalization. Those people that are new coaches, we throw terms like TFI, <laughs> SAS at them, and we just kind of pour out the bowl of the alphabet soup. I mean, <laughs> they are there in that acquisition phase. There needs to be somebody or those larger systems that are designed to help them on and through those phases of learning. And what you said, Megan, you know, whether or not we use interrupted, pause, timeout, disrupt. I mean, all of those are wonderful ways to describe what we experienced. Mm -hmm. I think we can all agree there was a clear stop and a clear start. Mm -hmm. There's who we were as a system before this thing happened. And there's who we are as a system after this thing happened. Yeah. Right. Right. And, um, I think what we were talking about when Nan and I were talking about is uh, the process that um, we haven't all been able to have, which is making that like, like mm, going through the thought process of figuring out what were we doing? What are we doing now? And how do we make it work so that we can take the things that maybe we should be doing again, that we had put a hold on because it didn't work over distance learning or whatever. And what are the things we're doing now as a result of the, the last couple of years that makes sense for us to continue to do that then actually create some sort of new version of our implementation um, that we should like document and assess and like formally adopt, you know? Um, and so one of the things that we were curious to talk to you all about is maybe the work that you've done with schools around that. Um, and uh, yeah, um, something that came to mind was that I actually don't know how schools connect with coaches. Like in my mind, it's like some kind of movie sequence where like there's a field of daisies that appear with a coach at one end and like a team at the other and there's some sort of like soft focus camera movement with like slow-mo running toward each other that all of a sudden now they're connected and you have a coach and I realized that that's not I mean that's come on that's not real so well, I like that <laughs> it's way better than like a love island experience <laughs> like, you match with your coach yeah. Nad mentioned eHarmony maybe at some point. So we're not really, we're not really sure. I don't know. Uh, and I've been, I've been encouraging schools to connect with coaches for a long time. And I actually don't know the logistics of it. So can you share with me maybe how that happens? And, um, and then maybe we can talk about some of the schools that you have connected with over the last couple of years and what you, and your process around that. Lisa, yeah, do, you wanna, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you connect with schools or how schools connect with you and your work? We have sort of an annual enrollment. We have an annual conversation, an MOU with, do you want to partner with us this year? And if you do, what data are we going to look at together? Have your superintendent sign off on it. 
And it just kind of resets everything. It's very informal. It sounds formal because it says MOU, but it's very informal conversation. And it is a way to get all the dreams and wishes and challenges of where the district is right then annually. It's like an annual snapshot. We kind of start with that annual uh, MOU, annual review, and look at what data do they currently have and how do you want to partner together this year? So that's a little bit about the process we've used across large and small districts. Gotcha. And, and then from there, we then meet with a district leadership team on a regular basis. And then we work with them to support and engage with the schools. Do you have like a list of districts that you are currently working with? And is it understood that you would be working with all of the schools within that district when you do that outreach it's, to say, are you signing up? Or is there some, at some point, you actually know who it is that you would be working with? I don't, I mean, honestly, yeah. you guys, this is like, I <laughs> yeah, feel no. like I'm I'm a five-year-old asking a question about how the world works. <laughs> so I think in the old days, we were assigned to schools and we supported schools. We being, I've had many different coaching roles. Okay. But that's, that's how it came off in a lot of different coaching roles. Yeah. This role, we support the district okay. to organize their systems. Okay. To have to build the coaching support and then they filter down to the schools and i think that's been a big shift in our field that's happened lisa would you say like last five to seven years yep. kind of that's where our focal done. points lie yep yeah because i i mean lisa and i both have experience working in districts where we provided coaching to buildings like it was a building yeah. level process and what we've come to understand in our field is buildings can do tier one. Like you can do tier one. It's going to take you probably 12 to 18 months, but a building can figure out and sustain tier one if they really commit. Yeah. But when you get to things like tier two, where we're talking about targeted supports and interventions, and you get to tier three, where we're talking about things that are intensive and individualized it stops being fair to require or expect a building to figure out those systems because they're resource heavy mm -hmm. um, and they require different skill sets and different expertise. And so when we say, you know, there's been a shift, that shift has been what Lisa was describing where the focal point becomes the district. Mm -hmm. How do we build capacity within the district? So buildings do tier one, but the district supports them when we get to those advanced tiers because they need to rely on a larger infrastructure. And so when we talk about coaching, you know, we're going in and working with district leadership teams like Lisa identified, but for the purpose of saying, how do we build capacity for you to create your own in-district coaches? because you know your campuses, you know your community, you know your context. And so it's it's meant to work us out of a job. It's mm -hmm. meant to be this release of responsibility because they're what is sustainable. We're not. Yes, right, correct, correct. It builds, also, go ahead, go ahead. I would also add, they care a lot about the data. When it's their schools in their district, they look at it differently and they have that contextual fit that you talked about at the mm -hmm. beginning. They can add those pieces. Well, what other data do we need to look at? And then they're pulling school climate data that they are taking regularly or other data sources that they have um, can connect to tell a better story. And I love that we're talking about 
coaches. Um, Cause I think there has to be this, just like a shift in our focal points, there has to be a shift in how we use that term. Mm-hmm. Cause here's my funny story about this. I remember being a first year teacher and it's back to school meetings in August. And our district has decided, okay, we're doing PBIS. Okay, we don't know what this is. So let's send everybody to a meeting. And I go with my school team. Reasonable. Because I'm green and I'm energetic and I'm going to sign my name up for everything because I want to prove myself as a new teacher. And I get up at one point to go use the facilities and I come back and they go, we identified you as the coach. And I said, oh, okay, that's great. Yep. I'm fresh out of college and I'm now going to be the coach for our building of this thing that nobody knows. Yeah. Perfect. That sounds great. Yeah, exactly. And you were so, like, but you know, enthusiastic Kelsey enthusiastic, in the moment. Exactly. She was like, yes, <laughs> great. I got this. <laughs> yeah. But I share that as an example, because we do that a lot in schools. Mm-hmm. We give people this moniker of coach, yet they have no time experience or even street cred to be going and coaching what they can do is lead a team meeting and so I I applaud those districts that have made that and we've got some here in our state in Missouri that have made that shift in terminology where you know they've understood as a district okay we can have team leads but that's different than a coach and we don't want people feeling responsible when they don't have the capacity to do that function And Heather George from the University of South Florida, who's also one of the co-directors of the National Center, put it really well. Training is an event. Coaching is what connects one event to the next. Mm. And so we can have people that are great trainers, but we also need those people that can go to like the, you know, come to me, Kelsey, after a training event and go, okay, what'd you take away? How can we give that a go in your classroom? What questions might you still have about that? Would you like for me to watch you give it a go? You know, it's those people that help connect what you just learned at one training event to your actual classroom context. It starts with singletons. It starts with a cadre of schools. And then that creates enough momentum that the district goes, okay, maybe we should do something that's a bit more organized. (laughs) Yeah, maybe well, they're doing if, this thing. If maybe we have enough this. schools doing this, maybe mm-hmm. we need to take another look at this. Maybe we should form a district leadership team to support all buildings. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's like, um, that happens a lot in anyone's work really is like, mm-hmm. let's just try this thing. You get a couple of people together, you try this thing. And all of a sudden people start looking at it like, oh, that seems to be, that's kind of nice. Maybe we could do some, we'll do it too. And you just start to build that momentum um, to grow and sustain the movement. Um, I'm curious about the work that you've done or the the work that you've seen done in schools over the last couple of years. And, um, you know, initially we were thinking about like schools that had stopped and maybe restarted, but now I'm just curious about, about the, the timeline of it all really about how schools were able to continue to do this work or how, how their implementation changed over time. How did you connect with them? What was your first move or what was the coach's first move uh, in making those connections during the last couple of years? Um, I think we did a lot of listening in March and April and more emotional supports. 
Uh, I'm going to yeah. be honest. We just did a lot of listening because I didn't know what to do. Do we keep doing this? Do we keep meeting? Do we not meet? So we um, offered check-ins, regular check-ins. And then we had a summer institute. And I think we did that virtually. And we did, let's talk about going back to basics. So if you want to see that, we have that posted on our Missouri website. But Great. really yeah. talked about just hanging with the basics and what are they as you think about what this looks like when you reopen. Because at that time, we thought we were reopening opening. And then our districts and schools went in multiple different directions. Some of them reopened, some of them maintained virtual. Right. And so we then partnered with them, okay, uh, for thinking about the basics, and you're all virtual across this whole district with 27 schools, what can we carry over from PBS that you, I'm putting air quotes, used to do that yes. you need now? And they it's so a one ex uh, specific example of what they did is they took their matrix and each school was allowed to create their own matrix, but they had the same district expectations. So what they did at the district level team is they created one matrix for virtual learning for elementary, middle and high and said, just use this. You don't need to create it. We're going to have this here for you. Mm -hmm. And then um, that made it something that they did before, but it had to take a change because children were learning virtually. So upon every screensaver was the matrix for teachers mm. when they started and they prompted them. And, and then as the year went on, we didn't have office referral data. So what, what needs are you seeing in the district? And they were seeing social, emotional, mental health needs. So they included right. that in their matrix as well. So th that's just an example of how we still use the basic principles, but adapted for mm -hmm. the environment that they were dealing with at that time. And I love too, that you started by just connecting with them as people, that mm -hmm. it wasn't just like, how can we help you get this thing going again and dealing with logistics of school that you were really just making personal connections with people. And um, I think when I think of the role um, that a coach or a team lead or someone would play, it's it's try it's being an effective communicator would be really mm -hmm. important and um to develop that trust and uh those personal relationships would be really critical to that work so i like that you started there and then started adding to the conversation about well how do we how do we take what we used to do and meet mm -hmm. us where we are right now based on what your needs are and i think when yes. you talk about what's the critical piece of a coach it's listening for those connect mm -hmm. points Mm -hmm. listening for those needs and then connecting them to what are the evidence-based or best practices that you valued in the past and how can that look now? What would you add, Kelsey? Yeah, I just love how you've talked about that because that really was our experience. It started a lot with, you know, people wanting to, us to give them permission. Mm -hmm. They wanted permission from us that it was okay to go slow. Yeah. yeah. Can, can I have permission that everything okay. felt rushed, right? Like everything it felt, felt like you rushed. had to like get back to it, do the things yeah. that you need to do, offer yeah. the services, do the things like, yeah, it all felt so rushed. And we just kind of had this, this mentality as a team, you know, we're going to, we're going to handle people with kid gloves because it, there's a lot that's going on. That's new. There were so many top down at like state and federal do this. Don't do that. You can, you can't. And it's just like, you know what, we are, we're on this journey with you and we will uh -huh. help you figure this out. And if you need permission to not do this PBIS thing, and I, you need me to be that person, I can fulfill that role. Uh -huh. um, and 
it did facilitate the trust that you were talking about, Megan. We'd already built trust, but it just helped to sustain it because mm-hmm. now we're not the PBIS police, so to speak, <laughs> but we really are this, you're, we're your friend that's partner. You through this mm-hmm. process. We're your partner. Um, and it's, it's been fun to watch people move through this phase of life, this phase of education, because yeah, I got the permission to slow down, but it also kind of gave me the opportunity to take a running start at a Mm -hmm. certain point in time. Like I didn't quit, you know, we kept Mm -hmm. meeting. Yeah. Our meetings were virtual, Mm -hmm. but we kept that process up and now our meetings are actually stronger now, or we figured out how to do things in a clever and creative way. And we liked what, how it felt. So we're going to keep that mix it in. There's been this nice evolution of implementation because people had the opportunity to think about things in a new and different way, partly because they were forced to, (laughs) Um, but it just, it brought about a new era, if you will, of implementation that I love how Lisa talked about social, emotional skills and mental health needs. It brought so much more to the forefront than kind of how we were, a lot of districts and schools were originally implementing. Now it feels a lot deliberate, more deliberate and a lot more um, whole student oriented, Mm -hmm. if that's a way we can think about it. We're really thinking about the person um, and all of their needs. Mm -hmm. Another thing I would add connected to that, because you're helping me think, is (laughs) that when we think about the role of a coach, the other thing that I'm always reminding myself is I don't know it all. I really value learning with and from others. Uh So the other thing that happened during the pandemic was we didn't know how to do this school this way. And I didn't have an answer and -and so-and-so didn't have an answer. But if you put a bunch of people in a room together, they could learn with and from each other. And so that's another thing that we learned. So I love what you're doing here, podcast, because we started a podcast during the uh, (laughs) pandemic as well. Just talking to people. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because it was authentic. We would have these conversations and I would say to my colleague, Cassetta, in St. Louis Public, you need to talk to Benita in such and such and so and so in another district because they're doing this great. So then we pull them all together. Mm -hmm. And now we actually have a really exciting um, leaders network where we bring leaders from each of these districts and we meet monthly with them. They meet with each other. So we have about five or six district leaders that are all meeting together on a monthly basis and they're sharing their work, sharing ideas and sharing, I, I supporting them to keep it moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Does it ever get tough to, um, in your work, when people are looking at you, hoping that you are the expert and realizing that you aren't, like, how do you reconcile that in your mind when you've got people like hoping that you will have an answer? I, as a coach, I connect with smart people like Kelsey and (laughs) smart school leaders. Like I just said, Benita and Cassetta, like I build a bank of colleagues that I can call and I'm okay to say, I don't know the answer. Yeah but I can find an answer. I can find a couple choices for you to consider. I think it's nice those in the same way that Kelsey, you were talking about giving schools permission to slow down. Mm-hmm. I think it's nice that at this point in our existence that coaches could also be given a similar 
um, directive that it's okay to not know. And we now have the technology and the accessibility mm -hmm. to each other in ways that we didn't, that weren't always so simple before, you know, mm -hmm. getting, getting a group of district leaders into a, into one place, I would imagine physically like being on location could be challenging, but getting a zoom call together mm -hmm. doesn't take much time. And there's no travel involved. Like there are certain parts of this that make building that community a little bit easier. There are mm -hmm. less barriers to it. And I love how you said that, Megan, kind of a new way of thinking as a coach, because I think we, we put people in positions as coaches because they do it well. There's a, there's a definitive level of experience yes. and skill set and expertise. And hopefully along the way, they also have the FTE, the actual time to be a coach. You know, in a perfect world, they do. But a good coach will listen to something and go, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> or huh, I haven't thought about that. Or that's the first that's popped up. Let me see what I can dig in. Let me, let me do a little digging, come back to you. And it's not to buy time, but it's an authentic way of going, hmm, that's new. Let's figure that out together. Yeah. Versus just kind of coming up with something and seeing if it sticks. What are you looking for with those teams? What are you listening for to see in terms of next steps? What would, how, how will you move them through um, getting back to implementation or getting back to even assessing fidelity of implementation? What are you looking for and, and how do you keep them or reinvigorate them mm -hmm. um, in their, in their process? Especially, yeah. and, and you mentioned you have new folks too. So yeah. you're kind of doing that on the job mentoring training in addition to helping them get moving if, if that's in fact what needs to happen at that point. So the question is really, how do you, as a coach, what's your role in meetings and how do you think sort of strategic moves during those meetings? Mm -hmm. And I think what I would back up is all of what we do is anchored to something. So if it's a school team, I anchor it to a TFI. Mm -hmm. If it's a district team, I anchor it to the DSFI. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. we have them think through the DSFI and prioritize what are their strengths? What are their areas that they want to focus on? And so then during those meetings, I can we can just kind of keep them connected to what their, what their priorities are. We also encourage that there's data at the table to help guide any of the decisions they're making. So, and we do pre-work, whether it's at a school or at a district level, or even at a state level. Um, and, and I think the thing that keeps it going, because I think your question was really around what happens first meeting, second meeting, third meeting, is really kind of getting them connected to the anchor at the beginning. What data are you going to have at the table that's going to have impact? What's the impact you want to make over time? And then what is your first 30, 60 day steps? Like keep it short, keep the momentum focused to get to that outcome that you want. What are the first few things you can do? And then the rest of it with the district level, we call it a 10 year plan, a school level, it's a three to five year plan. But then the rest of things, we can just hold those off. And if you move through these fast, then we do the next 30, 60 days and then the next 30, 60 days. And then at the end of the year, we celebrate the successes and think about where do you want to go next? Mm -hmm. It reminds me of something we talk about with schools. Um, and I think Kelsey was actually one of the folks that taught me this. It's assessing our current reality. Where are we and where do we want to go? Mm -hmm. And doing that really thoughtfully and not trying to do it all at once, but 
you know, choosing that low hanging fruit or what are the priorities and what do we have the capacity for um, and all those things. But I love that you're taking it back to that anchor, some type of data, um, which I think lends itself to the where we started, which was how do we help folks understand why fidelity um, fidelity data is so important. We actually need to know where we are. We need mm-hmm. to gauge our current reality. So it's such a great visual that Lisa brings to the conversation anchor because, you know, it, it keeps us from drifting, mm-hmm. you know, when we have that anchored in place, you know, even if the water gets choppy, we're still going to be here. Mm-hmm. You know, our position might change slightly in the ocean, but we're not all of a sudden drifting out to sea and we've lost our way completely, or we've started this whole new journey. It keeps us in place and it, it guides us in a way. Um, and then Lisa, I got a question for you. Do you ever go to team meetings and there's just kind of the, how do I, I say this? Um, there's unpacking of stress and problems. Oh yes. <laughs> okay, good. Cause I knew yeah. that too. I just yeah. was at a team yeah. meeting this week and we, yeah. we, we probably spent a good half of the meeting just unpacking our troubles. So to speak. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that's such an important part of being a coach is being that listening ear and also being able to go, yeah, I've been there. That's happened mm-hmm, to me too. Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. you're not alone in that. That feels completely normal. And yes, that is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Got to hear it. Yeah, I agree. I also, um, something else that I'm curious about is, um, Often when we talk about, so Lisa mentioned the the TFI, the tiered fidelity inventory and the DSFI, which I don't even ask me what the acronym means, but it's also a survey, right? These are both fidelity Mm -hmm. surveys, right? For assessing what's in place, just Mm -hmm. just to bring everybody up to our- Yeah, so the DSFI, we created the DSFI to Mm -hmm. mirror the TFI. So tiered fidelity inventory is at the building level. We grew and glowed it up to the district level. Yes. They look very similar, but they ask different questions. So when we talk about these surveys, we're often talking about them from the perspective of a team who is using them to create an action plan for mm-hmm. their next steps. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do these surveys, they, uh, they take these surveys with a coach in the room, right? That's the ideal. And um, And so I'm curious, though, from a coach's perspective, as you're listening to the conversations that are happening around these questions, what are you listening for? What do you hear in the conversation that goes, ah, I know what they need? You know, are you are you watching the administrator? Are you listening for the the confusion in the room and you're realizing that you don't actually these are all brand new people and that they need some fundamental like early, like foundational work that just to bring them up to speed with what's going on. Like, what are you doing as the teams are having these conversations? Are there things that you're listening for regularly that are part of your little repertoire as you're going through the surveys or watching the surveys happen? It's a, it's little of us and it's a lot of them. And it's a lot of being a fly on the wall and just watching behavior because that's what we do Yeah, and just going, okay, you have a wrinkled face because so-and-so gave it a two and you gave it a one. Okay. We've got some disagreement here right? or I haven't heard any of your rationale about why it's a two that actually connects to the criteria for Mm. being a two. Mm -hmm. So that's a talking point and maybe an action Mm -hmm. plan step. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
or wow, you guys are being really hard on yourself. And I think you're too. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's listening and it's watching and at the end going, so here's what I noticed or here's what I heard. Uh-huh. And just kind of paraphrasing and parroting it back to them and in a lot of ways providing a mirror so that they can kind of see their own unique process from a different angle. Well, I would add that exactly that. And what I'm also listening for, and there's a few little strategies and tips I've started to put in place as oh, well. Oh, good. I've got I'm, my pencil ready. <laughs> well, because it's exactly that, um, an administrator, a certain person in the room. So what I'm listening for is, is equal voice on mm-hmm. the table. So process for equal voice. Uh-huh. And if it isn't there, can we put a system in place to do that? So right now, one of the things we do is we have... Um, so I'm, I'll use the DSFI because that's the one we do most frequently, but we have a spot in the DSFI for each item. If you have an additional thought, like everybody voted this, but you have something that you need to add, you can just write it in here, uh-huh. put your name on it. And that way we can capture any sort of dissenting votes. Does that make sense? Or anything yeah. you think we might pay attention to. Yeah. So processes for equal voice, um, some self-awareness because the stronger the team gets almost kind of going a little bit to what Kelsey said, they get harder on themselves when they know more at the beginning, they think they're doing all these things and it's okay. So I look for growth and self-awareness. And then um, I always listen for strengths because when they come out of these assessments, they're a little deflated, deflated, might be a better word. And I was like, so what are your, what strengths did you see? And I always notice those and put those on the table before we talk about challenges um, because you can often use those strengths to build off the challenges. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, those yeah. are some things. Because yeah, the so next question really has to do with how do you build that momentum? How do you help teams, you know, throughout those meetings? You've had the meeting, you've done the TFI, and now you're at the next meeting and the next meeting. How do you help them go from deflated to, <laughs> all right, here we go. What does that momentum look like? And how do you build that with schools or teams? Or even coaches. <laughs> yeah. Some some of our folks will actually find it comforting. I mean, everybody's different, right? Some people are big picture. Some people are detailed. Some people like to know everything. So some of them will sort of do uh, an advanced organizer, a yearly plan. Like, mm-hmm. here's the big topics that we're going to kind of, here's the rhythm of when we'll look at the TFI, when we'll look at our school climate survey. Um, so they kind of know what's coming ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those 30, 60 day plans, I think that keeps the momentum going as well. Oh, the other thing is engagement with your partners. So if you're a district team, you're all, so our district teams share out with the cabinets every month, three things that they talked about during their meeting and if they need any resources or support. So I think the same thing can happen at a school level, share out with your staff on a regular basis. And that keeps the momentum going because I'm now accountable with people and I ask for their input about things. And here's yeah. the timelines on which we're going to do things. And um, so, so it's like you're making things in manageable time frames in addition to sharing out with the rest of your folks. So you're, so um, it's, it's this back and forth, but I love the idea of making it manageable because I think sometimes, just like you said, teams can get so deflated, like, oh my gosh, we have so much to do. So um, I, I really appreciate what you're saying around that is making it palatable or Mm-hmm. yeah attainable doable might be a good word like, yeah we can't do everything yeah. that's on that tfi right. at right. the beginning right and since it's a new year i mean this is a time where it's new beginnings and so it's a it's a chance for new behaviors and so for any of those 
veteran coaches or even new coaches that are listening, you know, this is a chance to integrate a new habit into monthly team meetings that if you have not already put an action plan checkup somewhere on your team meeting, start there. That's the base move. Mm-hmm. You know, we t- oftentimes will encourage people to take the TFI at least once a year, but hopefully fall and spring an action plan around that or review your action plan. But all too often we, we limit the TFI exposure, if you Mm -hmm. will, to those moments in time. And really we should be coming back and kind of keeping our fingers on the pulse of what's going on. And teams can get sidetracked with just the day to day, the month to month, what are our behavior trends? And then they end up forgetting that they had all of these, these hopes and dreams and valued goals. Yeah. Yeah. So to kind of wrap this up, no? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, I think Kelsey, you started by yeah, offering some advice for coaches and schools. What are those, what are those um, things that, what are like the one to three, one to four, one to five things you would tell coaches and schools if they're re-engaging or restarting? Um, what are those things? One thing I heard you say was hanging with the basics. I wrote that down. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? What are those things that um, you would advise um, to keep the momentum or get the momentum? Um, in addition to chunking things out, what are those one to one to I don't know one to four, one to five um, things you would tell coaches and teams or team leads? Um, Lisa, you want to tag team these? Sure. Like I'll, I'll say one, one, you say one, we'll kind of ping pong back and forth. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, do you want to go first? You go. Oh, okay. Um, I would say if you are a coach, um, find, find someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the phone a friend, um, because one of the things that we keep trying to help districts think about is um, communities of practice for coaching. And Lisa had so many great illustrations that she talked about with her districts in the metro area. And I think we we would echo that coast to coast. You know, whether you are a coach in a district or you're a coach in a single building in a rural community, find someone to talk to, find someone to bounce ideas off of, find somebody to unpack your troubles, if you will. <laughs> um, but just phone a friend, phone another coach. Love it. Um, I'm not sure if this is for what the coach would do or what the coach would support schools or districts to do, but document your work Mm -hmm. because the people change so frequently and um, just document what, and then it can continue to go. So document your work as a coach, as well as uh, who you're coaching. Yeah. Write it down. Yeah. -hmm. Bridging off of that. get familiar with fidelity data. Mm. If you've never taken the tiered fidelity inventory before the TFI, learn about it, take it, bring it to your team. It is a wonderful, are we doing kind of temperature check on the essential elements. Um, there's, if you're not familiar with it, there's the opportunity to take it for tier one, for tier two and tier three. Take it for whatever tier you're implementing at. It's going to give you really good info. And then balance that with something like the self-assessment survey. So the TFI is the team's perspective. And lots of times with teams that I'll work with, I'll call them the architects. You're the architects of the system. You're building it. So you're going to know way more about it than anybody else. 
but you need everybody else that is experiencing what yes. you just mm-hmm. built. You need their feedback too. Mm-hmm. And that comes from the self-assessment survey. And so it's really nice to have that balanced perspective because if we built it, but nobody knows it exists, <laughs> guess what friends, you didn't build it. <laughs> uh-huh. So mine kind of connects to that. Um, build a stack of resources for you as a coach. So along with the TFI and the assessment tools, what content might you have um, as a, a, a resource or a, sort of the the binder might be a better way? Like what is your, your tools or skills that you're going to bring um, as you support? And one of the things I worry about is there's so much out there, um, but find the few things you want to learn really well and stick to those. You guys, this has been a really great conversation. We don't often give a lot of um, airtime to the coaching that goes along. We just encourage people to do it. And so I'm really grateful that the two of you are able to join us today to talk about the the role and um, the work that you all are doing and your colleagues are doing. Um, It's it's so appreciated and, and a fundamental element to sustaining this implementation. So thanks for being here and talking to us about it. Yeah, thanks for a fun conversation. Thanks.